God bless all of you. Thank you, Pastor Riggin. And I think we ought to just clap our hands in thanksgiving to the Lord again for his wonderful presence in the house tonight. Thank you for it, Jesus. Thank you for being in this house. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. What a wonderful atmosphere to gather together in tonight. Surely the Lord is here. And whatever you have need of and I have need of, I promise you the answer's in the house. We're in the right place. We're in the right time. Life won't always be just like we want it to be, but my God never fails. He never changes. He's always on time, and he has an answer to every problem that we face. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for your kindness to us, Pastor and Sister Riggin. Appreciate so much the comfort of our accommodations and the uh, good times of fellowship that we have enjoyed these last few days together with your wonderful pastor and his wife and with those of you that have gathered for these meetings regardless of uh, what the service may have been. Just glad we could be together with you. If it was a Thursday night, a Friday night, time together with pastor and some ministers yesterday afternoon. My wife enjoyed her time with the ladies last evening. And then another great day in the Lord today. And we're exceedingly blessed and happy to be here with you. I do want to say before I have Sister Smith come to greet you tonight and to perhaps even sing a song if that would uh, uh, fit into the flow of this service. Uh, I want to, I have a word for this church, okay? So if you would just let me speak what I feel on my heart from the Lord. I know whereof I speak because for many years I, as a pastor, was very much involved in doing uh, missionary work. And I was connected with a few different works. Of course, for many years we were supporting uh, from our church helping to support more than 100 missionaries at a time. But I felt like that the Lord would have us focus on a particular area or a few areas of the Lord's work around the world, and that's what we began to do. I was uh, intricately involved with the work of God in the country of Ethiopia. In fact, for a time, our church in Brewer stood in the gap between heaven and hell for that country. 
It was in the throes of, uh, of course, even though the apostolic message had been preached in Ethiopia uh, and was carried by uh, missionaries, brother and sister Wendell, and the church mushroomed and grew and experienced great revival. Yet the time came when that, that nation got caught in the throes of treacherous false doctrine. And as a result, uh, I had been going, of course, many years and had been involved in so many various aspects of the work. But as a result of the false doctrine that <clears throat> surfaced, there was a line of demarcation I could no longer support uh, the work that I had been supporting. And so essentially we started from the ground up. We started to rebuild the work of God. And it was very challenging. Our church in Brewer was funneling much money into faithful brethren in Ethiopia to sustain them and to help them in such a crucial time in their history. And I'm telling you this to say that had the Brewer Church not stood with me and helped me to do what God called upon me to do, we could have failed a nation. But because the wonderful assembly that I pastored for many years was willing to lift up my hands to pray with me to pour finance into that work, the Lord then breathed on their sacrifice and my endeavors and raised up men from all over this country that would help us do the work of God in Ethiopia. But I promise you, Brother Riggin, it wasn't that way at the start. At the start, it seemed to be one church that was doing it. I'm saying that to you tonight to say, God always will provide if his people will be faithful. Today, we have at this time more than 600 ministers in the country of Ethiopia. I don't have an exact count of our constituents, but somewhere's around 90,000 believers. And it didn't happen overnight, but it did happen because there was a church that was willing to be used in the hand of God to sustain the work and to help build the kingdom. What's happening presently in the country of Zimbabwe is a phenomenal work of the Holy Ghost. Now again, Brother Smith is not talking off my head tonight. I have a word for this church from the Lord. Please understand that what is happening in that country is a sovereign work 
of the Holy Ghost. And God ordained to use your pastor as a key facilitator to bring about what God is doing, not only now in Zimbabwe, but reaching out into various countries. Now, you have to understand it will not be stress-free. It will not be problem-free. And I'm not pessimistic when I speak. I'm just telling you, this is the beginning of a new work. If you will look back into the Word of God, there were problems in the early church that had to be addressed and had to be dealt with, but thank God that that early church wasn't thrown away because we might not be here tonight if they had been discarded. Thank God there were those that were willing to put their shoulder to the wheel, their hands to the plow, and the church was perfected and grew and developed, and today we're a part not of a different church, but of the same church, the New Testament church of Jesus Christ that is called by his name, empowered by his spirit, overcoming by the blood of the Lamb, looking for that blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of that great God and Savior. So, I've said that to say, there will be times, no doubt, that your pastor will receive reports that he might not even want to share with this church. And when I say that, because of problems that arise. But when he does share things with you and solicits your additional prayers, just understand God called you as a church family to be a safety net and to be a part of this vision and this burden of doing the work of God. And if you'll do it with a cheerful heart and if you'll put your shoulder to the wheel, God will in turn pour out many blessings upon this assembly collectively and upon the families of this church individually. Now, the enemy doesn't like what's happening, and he's going to fight it. I know that by experience. I have fought some battles. Our local assembly fought some battles, but the victories that were the result were more glorious than the struggle of the battles. So don't worry about the struggles. Just take it to the Lord and understand he knows what he's doing. And to think that he would trust this assembly to stand in the gap and to be part of what God wants to do in another part of the world, you ought to count yourself privileged. You ought to thank God for the opportunity and every day say, Lord, we're going to give it our best. Pastor, we're with you. We're behind you. We're lifting up your hands. Whatever you do, whatever you do, don't get jealous because your pastor is needed in another part of the world, sometimes for a couple of three weeks at a time. Don't get resentful. I know you'd like to have him here, but understand, he's not on vacation. 
when he go if you think he is I'm just telling you, this body's got a whole lot more miles on it than it may uh, uh, supposed to have. But I want to give the Lord my very best. And I feel that your pastor is striving to do the same. And uh, I mentioned this, I believe, on Thursday night, but I want to just say it again. Whenever I would go to the mission field, I didn't go by myself. The Brewer Church went with me. They went with me in prayer. They knew what my itinerary would be. They knew the time change between here and there. They knew when I would be in meetings. They were fasting. They were praying. They were asking God for spiritual breakthrough and an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And when I would come home, I would tell them the, the reports of what had taken place. And I would share with them many things that they felt like this is our work and there was excitement in the church family over it so I want to encourage this church be united together be steadfast in the faith help your pastor do what God is wanting him to do not only here in Olathe not only here in this Kansas City area, but in another part of the world. And if you will be faithful, you have a faithful God that is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Just have to tell you one testimony. And there, were, there are many things I could share with you. But one testimony, and I had told our church, church, you just be faithful. We had, we had invested uh, into the kingdom of God. We had built churches. We had, we had poured tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars into the work of evangelism around the world, and especially in Ethiopia. And uh, I... I told the church God's going to take care of us and he knows just how to do it well would you know we had tried for years to purchase land that was adjoining the property that our church was built on and, and uh, the land was owned by an elderly gentleman who who ran a hotel next door to the church and he would never sell us that property he told me, Reverend, he said, I, I don't want to sell it. But he said, you can use it. You can use it as any way you want to use it for whatever you need it for. I just don't want to sell it. And I would talk to him at different times, and he never would sell. And then one day he became... Uh, uh, stricken with Alzheimer's and he ended up in a nursing home and his family sold the hotel and the property to another man and uh, so I went to the new owner and I talked to him about that property that we wanted and that we needed for expansion future expansion and 
he likewise did not want to sell it. He said, no, Reverend. He said, I need to keep all of this intact because he said, this is my retirement. And, and he said, if I sell a piece of the land, then, then I will forfeit an important access from Parkway South, which is where our church was located in through the back of his property. So he said, but you go ahead and use it. You just, you know, you feel free to use it for your school and the playground and whatever you need. I got no problem with it whatsoever. I'm just not interested in selling it. And I would talk to him and, and no, he wouldn't sell. And, and then I was in Africa on a mission one day when I got a phone call that Mr. Robinson had decided to sell the hotel. And he had tried to reach me, and I was out of the country. He wanted to know if we were interested in buying a portion of the property or if we wanted to buy it all. And, uh, well, I immediately sent word back to tell him that we were very interested and that, uh, uh, you know, I would uh, uh, make arrangements to talk with him on the telephone from there in Africa if, if uh, he wanted to talk to me immediately and he sent word back, no, uh, he could talk to me when I returned to the States. And so I got home and uh, in the meantime, the individual who wanted to buy the hotel decided he wanted all of the property, every bit of it. And so Mr. Robinson told me, he said, well, he said, I, I, you know, I was willing to sell you a portion of the land if the buyer did not want it all, but he wants it all. And so in the meantime, I'm trying to find out who is buying this hotel. I've got to find out about this property. And so, uh, would you know, there was a developer from out of state that was also eyeing all of this property situation. And he got in there, found out who the buyer was going to be, tried to work something out, negotiated with the new buyer that he could get a portion of the property, which was property we needed. We desperately need it. And uh, what the developer wanted it for, he was buying a, a restaurant that had closed down next door to our church, and he needed additional property to put in a Walgreens. And so uh, the developer showed up at my office, and he came in very cocky, arrogant, and wanted to know, Reverend, are you interested in whatever part of the property that we do not need to use? And are you ready to pay fair market value? Well, that fair market value was very, very pricey. And I looked at him and said, yes, sir, we are very interested in that property. And, uh, uh, and uh, talked with him as if, you know, that uh, I had all the money in the world to take care of whatever we needed to take care of. I didn't tell him I had it. I just simply said we were very interested in that property and it was very vital to us. And uh, when he left my office, God and I had a talk. We had a talk. And I cried 
and I talked and I cried and I prayed and I let the Lord know I had poured myself out to do your work you know and I just was letting the Lord know you know I this this is still very important to me Lord and so then I set out to contact the buyer myself by then I had found out who was buying the property uh, I contacted him he and his wife uh, came to my office sit down with me and I began to explain to them my many years of pastoring that church and how at different times we had tried to purchase that property and uh, neither of the former owners had wanted to sell it to us. And uh, the man looked at me and he said, Reverend, he said, if you're willing to pay the same price that this developer has agreed to pay, I'll sell it to you. I said, uh, Ross, I would love to do that, but that's not in our financial range. And I started to cry. I mean, I was overcome with emotions. And I said, you just have to understand, this developer has already been to my office. He walked in here as if he owned everything already. And he has asked me if we're willing to pay far, or ready to pay fair market value for anything he doesn't want. I said, I don't know if you understand this, Mr. Bradford, or not. But I said, the side entrance that comes into our church is on that property. It's not even on our land. And I said, the rear of our parking lot where we park cars is not even on our property. It belongs to the hotel. And the previous owners allowed us to dig out the parking lot, to pave the parking lot. We've taken care of it all these years, but it's not ours. It belongs to the hotel. And I'm crying, and I said, you know, we've been here for years. We have a growing assembly. This is so important to us. And, and by then, his wife and himself were so moved with emotion. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Reverend. He said, I am going to have it written in the deed that whoever gets this property cannot touch a thing that the church is presently using. That as long as this church is here, you will have the perpetual use of whatever you're using and it cannot be developed into anything else. And so he met with the developer who went into a tirade. And he said, I don't understand. Are you a member of that church? Ross Bradford said, no, sir. But I do consider myself a Christian. And he said, I wouldn't hurt that church for anything in the world. And if you're not satisfied with that being written in the agreement, in the, in the deed, he said, I appreciate the price you're willing to pay me, but if you don't want it, so be it. 
that's the way it's going to be. Well, don't you know that developer, the next time he came back, came back a little more humble. Then he went to the city. And when he got to the city to get his permission to put a curb cut in to the right of that church between the church and the U.S. post office on Parkway South, the city looked at him and said, no, sir, we cannot grant you permission for a curb cut because the church has two and between the post office, the church, and the corner, there are already all the curb cuts that we can allow. And so unless you can get the church to agree to close one of their curb cuts, then we cannot oblige you. Well, the next time he came to my office, uh, he's on his knee. Not literally, but he's on his knees. He's kind of, his whole approach has changed. He didn't come in cocky and arrogant. He came in with honey dripping out of his mouth, Reverend. You know, uh, we, we would like to make an offer to you. Ah, and this was his offer. They were going to develop everything around us. They were going to increase our parking. They were going to uh, do all the landscaping. They were going to give us the land that they didn't need. And the only thing we'd have to give them was $50,000. Well, that was nothing compared to what he had initially come to me with. But now here's the rest of the story. When everything was said and done, we got all the land we were using deeded to us. We got the additional land the developer didn't want. And we paid zero for everything. The new parking lot, the additional parking spaces, all the landscaping, the security fence at the back of our property. You Everything they did, they did it and it cost us nothing whatsoever because we have an unlimited God that smiled on his people that had been faithful in doing his work and helping build up the kingdom of God. It increased the value of our property by probably now a half a million dollars and it cost us nothing. So church... God doesn't always do it the same way, but he does what he does well. And you can count on him to take care of you if you'll take care of his work, if you'll just be knitted together and united together and stand with your pastor and his wife. There'll be times the load will be heavy for Pastor Riggin. There'll be times he'll be carrying burdens for, the, for not only this assembly, but for the work in Zimbabwe that will be very, very heavy on him. Lift up his hands. Let him know, Pastor, we're praying for you that God will strengthen you and give you wisdom. And as you pour virtue to him... I promise you a whole lot's going to come back to you. Virtue that you need, direction, supply, provision, answers. God will do it because he loves his people. 
and he loves his people to do his work. Amen. God bless you. I just wanted to leave those words with you. Sister Smith, come and greet this wonderful congregation tonight. Maybe a testimony or a song and uh, whatever you feel on your heart from the Lord. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who renews thy strength like the eagles. Now it doesn't get much better than that. Oh, I love him, I love him, I love him. There's nothing like serving Jesus Christ and walking with him. I want to reiterate what my husband said tonight. You are a blessed people that God would call you and your pastor to help save a nation. He doesn't, he doesn't call just anybody. I'm telling you. Be so faithful in your prayers. Oh, don't just pray a prayer now and then. But let God get a hold of your heart so deeply. Let him use you in intercessory prayer. Because this nation needs God. And God needs people that will pray. And together we'll see souls ready to meet the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes again. Praise the Lord. I'll start the verse.
wasn't looking for popularity. He wasn't looking for money. He wasn't looking for people to see how great he was, though he was God for people. He was looking for a harvest field. He was looking for people. Maya Katola Labaha Shaya Totola Mandaya. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God forever. Amen. Tremendous faith in this sanctuary tonight. Amen. I, I feel such, such victory in the face of such adversity. I feel victory in the face of adversity. Amen. I feel confidence in the face of perplexing circumstances. I feel assurance. Oh, the Lord is in the house tonight. The Lord is with you, Brother Regan. The Lord is with this church. Amen. Don't doubt it. Don't doubt it. Claim it. Claim the victory. Go ahead. Claim it every day. Thank God for what he's promised. Thank God for what he's doing. Thank God for what he's up to. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Go ahead. Reach out. Get your hand in his hand tonight. Go ahead. Lay hold on the promise tonight. Go ahead and claim the answer. God's doing it. He's doing it. He's doing it. Hallelujah. Thank you for walking these aisles. Thank you, Lord, for visiting this house. Thank you, Lord, for the unction of your spirit. Victory in your name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Come on, let's stay connected to what God is doing. Let's keep our eyes focused in his direction right now. Hallelujah. Lord, we wait upon you. Lord, we call upon you. Lord, our eyes are upon you. We're looking in your direction, oh God. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Behold, I am God, and I change not. I have set before you an open door, and no man can shut it. Yea, behold, walk before me in uprightness of heart. Walk before me trusting only in the power of my name and my word. For behold, I, the Lord, have prepared the way before thee. Behold, I, the Lord, will make a way where there seems to be no way. For this is my work, this is my doing, and I, the Lord, have set my eye upon you and upon my work for my will to be done. Hearken unto me, saith the Lord, be of a good courage and be not dismayed, for I, the Lord, will bring it to pass.
such confidence. Thank you for such words of assurance. Thank you, Lord, for such direction. What we're doing is waiting upon the Lord. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strengths. They shall mount up with wings as of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. When I pause in a meeting like this, it's not because I'm in a quandary about what to do. I'm waiting on the Lord. I'm just lingering in his presence. I'm just spending time looking to him and, and leaning upon him and submitting to him and opening myself before him because this is where we renew our strengths when we get into the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Matola Bohushaya Ramandaya. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter what the report of the enemy is. 
It doesn't matter what the naysayers have to say. It doesn't matter what our adversary might try to throw at us. The Lord said he set the open door before us and no man can shut it. He said it. And I believe it. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. The book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament opens with very somber words as we read chapter 1. And it begins like this. Verse 1 says, The burden or the vision which Habakkuk the prophet did see. You may be seated. Truthfully, this Old Testament prophet was burdened down. His heart was troubled so very deeply. And honestly, his righteous spirit was stirred within him. As he looked round about, all he could seem to focus his attention upon was the perverseness of his day and the tragic plight of his fellow men. It was a bleak scene. Repeatedly he cried unto the Lord to make his petition known. However, it seemed as if God simply wasn't hearing his desperate plea. Day after day, for Habakkuk, life didn't seem fair. In fact, everywhere he looked, all he could see was prevailing influence of iniquity, violence, and contention. It appeared that, and notice I said it appeared, it appeared that the wicked were overpowering the righteous. And through eyes of Human rationale, righteous judgment was trampled every day in the streets. Herein we witness the account of God's man crying out in despair. And as he cried unto the Lord, he wanted to know, Where are you, Lord? Do you even care about our depressing plight? Will you ever save us? Oh God, please, please do something for the sake of your people. Thus, verse number five of this first chapter of Habakkuk is the clear response 
of an all-knowing, all-caring God to the anguished plea of, of a burdened man known to us as Habakkuk the prophet. The Lord said, Behold ye among the heathen, and regard, and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which you will not believe, though it be told you. Emphatically, God said, I want you to look closely at the heathen nations round about and keep watching. That's what he said. However, you mustn't be fooled by prevailing and perplexing circumstances. For in the midst of everything taking place, God promised that he was going to do something profound before the prophet's very eyes. In fact, according to one particular translation, God said, I'm going to do something so big in your lifetime, you will actually have to see it in order to believe. Nevertheless, there were so many unanswered questions for this faithful servant of God. Life had become so overwhelming for him and his people that initially, at least, Habakkuk wasn't able to process the details of such a message from God. So he simply wondered how such a thing could possibly be. And if indeed it was going to take place according to the vision, then how long would it be before it actually happened? Of course, the prophet was certain there had to be some mistake, at least with a portion of the message, because how could a righteous God use such a wicked and a pagan people like the Chaldeans to punish his own people for their backsliding and at the same time bring justice in the face of such deplorable circumstances. In all honesty, as wonderful as this message from God sounded, certain details of the vision simply weren't lining up with Habakkuk's way of thinking. Thus, in reality, this prophet found himself wondering about what God actually had in mind. What is in his mind? Glancing at chapter 2 and verse 2, we find the Lord instructing Habakkuk to write the vision down. In fact, God told him, make it so big, make it so plain that everyone can read it from a distance and then run to tell others. 
Oh, yeah. He said, I want you to put it up there on a billboard. I want you to make this message so plain for people that they won't have any problem seeing and understanding what it is that I have in my mind. And God further cautioned the prophet that while fulfillment of the vision wouldn't necessarily happen according to his own timing, and most likely it wouldn't unfold exactly as he would expect. Nevertheless, the Lord assured him, it will surely come to pass. In fact, God said, though it seems slow in coming, wait for it. Because it won't be overdue even a single day. Hallelujah. And at long last, the vision or the message from God began to penetrate all the roadblocks of Habakkuk's natural mind. And in like manner, I've come to this pulpit in Olathe tonight to declare in this very setting God also has a message for his people in our day. However, to see things unfold according to God's desire, the vision has got to get beyond the barriers of human rationale, and it's got to take root deep inside of us. We've got to have eyes, Pastor, that see more than the natural eye can ever see. We as the people of God have got to have ears that can hear more than any natural ear can ever take in. Just understand that it's the same God who makes the hearing ear that makes the seeing eye. And I want to see in the Spirit and I want to hear in the Spirit. I want to be connected to God. I want to be in tune. I want my head laid on the breast of Jesus and I want to know his will and I want to be part of his work. And with that being said, I've come to declare tonight that God is up to something big. God is up to something big. Big, big, how big is God anyway? Can you put him in a box? Can you weigh him? Can you tell me how tall is he? How much does he weigh? I've come to tell somebody tonight, our God is big. He's bigger than anything that I can even compare him to. And furthermore, he's up to something big. I want to remind one and all in the house tonight that our God is forever faithful to his people. As a matter of fact, just a brief review of Israel's early history clearly substantiates the absolute faithfulness of our 
great God. From the book of Isaiah chapter 50 and verse number 2, we hear the Lord ask, Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Then he said, Behold at my rebuke. I dry up the sea, and I make the rivers a wilderness. In the very next verse, he said, It is I who clothe the heavens. We're talking about a big God. We're talking about a big God. His hand isn't shortened, and his power is yet the same today. He rebukes the sea, and he makes the rivers a wilderness. He even clothes the heavens. He's a big God. In further consideration of his faithfulness, we recall how the children of Israel faced relentless perplexity down in Egypt's land. In fact, from the very day that another Pharaoh arose in Egypt who knew not Joseph, Jacob's descendants suffered great oppression under a wicked Pharaoh who coerced them to dwell as bondsmen in a strange land. Nevertheless, by the providence and timing of Almighty God, a deliverer arose for his people. And at long last, after ten miraculous plagues were unleashed upon their oppressors, Moses led the entire Hebrew race out of Egypt land. Course we understand all too soon after the notable exodus, the Israelites faced another major dilemma. And God was forced to prove his people once again. I just want all of us to understand tonight, God will prove his people. God will prove David Smith. God will prove Pastor Riggin. God will prove every one of you. It's easy to say, Lord, I love you. Lord, I trust you. Lord, I'm going to serve you. It's easy when life is going good. But when the rug's been pulled out from under us and our world's been turned upside down, that's when God will prove us. And he'll prove whether or not we are who we're supposed to be. So he had to prove his people once again. Whenever the children of Israel came to Red Sea waters, there was absolutely no way, humanly speaking, for them to cross over. Instead, it was as if they had walked right into a giant death trap with mountains on the right hand and on the left, and with fierce enemies pursuing from behind, God's people wondered how they could possibly escape. Nevertheless, as Moses stretched out his rod over the formidable waters before them, God miraculously parted the Red Sea, and Jacob's descendants were delivered out of the hand of their adversaries. 
As a matter of fact, in a victory that has lasted until this very day, they marched to safety on dry land. Just moments before, it was a seabed, and now they're marching on a dry land. Moving onward, it's abundantly clear that our omnipotent God is forever faithful to his people. For the Lord of hosts stayed with the children of Israel even as they journeyed through the wilderness. Whenever they needed food, he did something far beyond the ordinary for them. Six days out of the week, God rained down manna from heaven, and he provided necessary sustenance for the entire Hebrew nation. Actually, the only thing his people needed to do each morning was simply go out and gather manna because all the bread they needed were spread out on the ground before them. Furthermore, whenever they became thirsty, God provided plenty of water for the masses of Israel. In fact, the Bible tells us that a rock mysteriously followed them on their journey from Egypt to the promised land. A rock. I've seen a lot of rocks in my lifetime. I've had rocks thrown at me. I've climbed on rocks. I mean, I've stood in amazement and looked at some rocks. Rocks that are big enough to have the very faces of men carved into the bluffs. And yet the Bible said there was a rock that followed the children of Israel as they journeyed through the wilderness and an abundant supply of water simply flowed out of that rock. Of course, there was so much more supernatural provision that a faithful God made available to his people as well. According to scriptural record, the Israelites had shoes for their feet that never wore out and clothing for their bodies which required no replacement whatsoever, not simply for a year or two, but for the entire 40-year period of their wandering in the wilderness. I'm talking about a big God tonight. I'm talking about a big God who's up to something big today he's up to something big in my world and in your world and by the way my world doesn't begin in some other country I draw a circle on the ground and I step inside of the circle and that's where my world begins and God is up to something big in my world and in your world my brothers and sisters, I'm talking about the faithfulness of a never-failing God on behalf of his people. Truthfully, each of us need to take a fresh look at what God wants to do 
and what he's going to do for his people and with his people who are gathered in this sanctuary tonight. I'm not talking about pie in the sky. I'm not just here tonight giving you some wishful thinking. I'm here speaking the mind of God. I'm, I've come to this pulpit to tell you that God is up to something big. What he did for a shepherd boy by the name of David whenever he walked out onto a battlefield without the protection of a soldier's armor to face the mighty Goliath. Our God will do the same for me and he'll do the same for you as we confront the giants of our day. Every one of us face giants. Oh, yes, we do. My giant is not necessarily the same as your pastor's, and yours might not be the same as your brother. But let me tell you, we're all going to face some giants in our walk with God. But our God is big enough, and our God is faithful enough to give us victory regardless of whatever the giant may be that we face. A faithful God saw to it that Elijah the prophet was miraculously fed by ravens at the brook Cherith. Ravens. Ravens. Those pesky birds. Ravens. And yet God sent food by ravens to Elijah. And then one day the brook dried up and the ravens didn't come anymore. But you know what? The God that was faithful enough to send the ravens knew just what direction to give Elijah next. And so the Bible tells us that the God who's always up to something big ordained that a little widow woman would be waiting for the man of God at the gate of Zarephath so that all the prophet had to do was simply ask her for a morsel of bread. A testimony of God's faithfulness indeed. And to think not only did the Lord take care of his servant Elijah, but from that moment onward until the day the drought was completely passed, God also provided for the widow and her son on an everyday basis. So very much so until her supply of oil and meal was never depleted throughout the extended days of the severe famine that plagued all Israel. You just have to understand that's how big God is. She only had enough meal and oil for one more loaf of bread. But because she obeyed the request and direction of the man of God and baked one for him first, then when she went back and probably thought, there's nothing left for me, there was just enough meal and oil to make one more cake of bread. 
And the next day when she got hungry and probably might have thought, I know there's no more meal and oil because I used it all yesterday, but, but wait a minute, when I thought it was gone yesterday, there was enough for one more cake. So she went back to look again and there was just enough for one more cake of bread. I'm telling you, our God knows how to give us daily bread. Daily bread. We like it when we've got it ahead for a week, for a month, for a year. We feel comfortable when we got it all mapped out and we know just exactly how it's going to be taken care of. But we've got a God that will give his children daily bread. That's another message that he taught us to his disciples to pray after this manner. Give us this day our daily bread. Even so, I've come to declare in this setting tonight that the very same God that provided for David and provided for Elijah is up to something big for his people in my day as well. I'm confident that he will fulfill everything he's ever promised to do. As a matter of fact, according to numerous prophecies found in Scripture, our God has a definite plan for His church in these last days of time. And what's unfolding all over the world right now simply fits into that great big Plan. The God who's up to something big has promised to revive a work of righteousness and restore all that has been previously destroyed. And I'm confident that there are people in my day, some of which are in this very meeting tonight, men and women who truly know their God. And with steadfast faith, we have wholly determined to lay hold on the unfailing promises of a faithful God. We're people who fully expect to see the glory of the Lord revealed. We sung this morning, I, I want your glory. I need your glory. Oh, yes, I want you to know that we're people. We are people that are expecting to see the glory of the Lord revealed. I pray often, Lord, show us your glory. I pray often, send down your glory, Lord. Send down your glory, Lord. I want the Lord to know I'm not content to sit back with folded hands. I'm not just sitting back and and waiting I'm expecting I'm expecting the big things that God has promised that he would do in my time oh yes and may it be understood with great clarity we in this house have every reason to believe that God is up to something big in our world yes sir he chose to use an assembly in the northeast part of this country to stand in the gap and hold back the gates of hell that were closing in on the country of Ethiopia. 
And now he's chosen to use an assembly right here in Kansas to stand in the gap for a nation. For a nation. Now, you got to understand the devil hates that. And that's why you're going to face some of the fury that you face and why you'll face some of the testing that you'll go through. But don't be shaken. Don't be shaken because our God is bigger than anything you're going to face. And you got to realize he's up to something big. He's got a big plan in mind. And I want to be part of God's plan. And I want you to be part of God's plan. Centuries ago, a man of God uttered a profound prophecy that's recorded in the second chapter of the book of Joel. And he said in verse 23, I start to read Joel 2, 23, Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain the former rain and the latter rain in the first months. And he said, the floors shall be full of wheat and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm, the caterpillar, the palmer worm, my great army, which I sent among you. He said in verse 26, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who hath dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be ashamed. Oh, I want the Lord to know I claim his promise. I want the Lord to know I'm standing under the open window of heaven tonight and there's faith in my heart, Pastor. Oh, I know this was initially given to God's people in Old Testament times, but I know enough about God to tell you there are twofold fulfillments of promises. There's an immediate fulfillment or a, or, or a nearly immediate fulfillment and then that which is long term. And here I stand at the end of an age under the open window of heaven claiming the promise of God who is up to something big. And he said in verse 27, you shall know that I am in the midst of my people and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your old men shall dream dreams your young men shall see visions and also upon servants and handmaidens in those days will I pour out my spirit he said I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth and in verse 32 it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be delivered. I wonder how many years, Pastor, people in that dark continent and that country of Zimbabwe have been praying and asking for deliverance and they 
didn't even understand what they were praying for and they didn't even realize what it was all about but because there's a God that many centuries ago said that in the last days it would happen and whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be delivered he's brought deliverance to those people and he's shown to them the light of truth and they've grabbed it and they say we want it and we want to share it with others it's phenomenal and it's not the work of man it's because our God is up to something big he also provided enlightenment for his people through the words of Haggai the prophet found in the second chapter of Haggai verse 6 when he said thus saith the Lord of the host the Lord of hosts yet once more in just a little while I'll shake the heavens and the earth notice that and the sea and the dry land and he said the desire of all nations shall come in verse 9 he said the glory of this latter house shall be greater than that of the former house saith the Lord of hosts furthermore the Lord Jesus himself confirmed that God's power will be manifest and his glory revealed in these last days as a matter of fact in John chapter 10 he made a prophetic declaration that's applicable to our day and our situation whenever he said in verse 12 verily verily he that believeth on me John 10 in verse 12 the works that I do shall he do also and greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my father and in verse 13 he said whosoever whatsoever ye shall ask in my name that will I do Mark 16 another prophecy given verse 17 these signs shall follow them that believe I quoted it this morning God's up to something big God is up to something big I've come to tell everyone who has an ear to hear from God tonight. Indeed, our God is up to something big. I truly believe and firmly declare that our great, big, wonderful God is bigger than all our dreams. Beyond every shadow of doubt, something mighty some mighty big plans for his church right here in Olathe are in the making and unfolding even as I speak. You need to claim it, church. You need to speak it by faith. You need to walk into this sanctuary. And when you walk into this sanctuary, you need to say, I claim the promise, Jesus. I claim what you're wanting to do in my life and in our assembly right now. When you are driving down the street and when you're in your own community, you need to walk there by faith and say, I claim this place in the name of Jesus. I claim 
hungry souls uh, that I work with and that I neighbor with uh, because our God is up to something big. I promise you what he's doing, uh, it's not in a corner. It's not some small thing. Uh, he's up to something big. Uh, he's got big plans for his church uh, and for his people, uh, and he wants us uh, to reach out by faith and say, Lord, you can count on me. You can count on me to believe that you will do exactly what you said you want to do. He desires to perform miracles. He desires to show signs and wonders. You just have to realize that in order for there to be a miracle, there's going to have to be an impossible situation. Okay? And so when you're faced with what seems to be impossible, remember that's the making of a miracle. The potential for a miracle is right there in that situation of impossibility. So you look to the Lord. You lift your eyes beyond the problem. Our situation is too often this is where we get hung up because all we can see is what's right in front of our eyes. But you've got to back away from it enough that you can look beyond what's right there in front of your eye. And you know what? When this is right in front of my eyes, I, I can't see anything but what's right in front of my eyes. But when I can back away from it enough, hey, 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 I see all these people that are in this assembly tonight and that are in this meeting. So you got to back away from some things that seem to blind your vision and understand that God's in charge and that God's on the throne and that God is up to something big. I would to God that in this house tonight that a brother would join up with a brother and a sister would join up with a sister or a husband would join up with your wife and that parents would join up with your children and that all of us would join up with God that you as church family would join up with your pastor and together we connect with what God is wanting to do right now. What can he do with us if we get into the place where he can do with us what he really wants to do? The Apostle Paul said it like this, and I'll close. He said in the third chapter of Ephesians in verse 20, our God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. And then he added in verse 21, throughout all ages. And by the way, that includes the day and time in which I'm living right now right now throughout all ages hallelujah to think that at the end of this age he would choose to do such a big thing in the earth and that he would choose 
this pastor and this church to be involved in such a big work. You have nothing to fear because your God is on the throne and your God is the one that's orchestrating what's unfolding and what's taking place. In John 15, Jesus assured his disciples in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. And so I boldly declare tonight that our God is up to something big, something phenomenal is already happening. If, if you'd allow me tonight, Pastor, I really feel like that this church needs to connect with you and your wife. And I want to conclude my message tonight perhaps a little differently than I normally would. This morning when I came to the conclusion of my message I opened this altar and the church responded and every one of us were swinging from heaven's balcony, so to speak. Okay. Tonight, I feel like that Pastor and Sister Riggin need to come down here and uh, whether you get chairs for them to sit in or whether... If you are, get them out far enough in the middle that church people can get around them. I want this assembly to connect in the spirit realm with them tonight. What they're doing is in the mind of God. And if you will also get the mind of God for what they're doing... There is no telling what the result and the outcome is going to be before this all is said and done. Don't let there be one negative voice. I'm just telling you, I know whereof I'm speaking because I've walked this road for years. I know what I'm talking about. I'd walk down the aisles of the church in Brewer and someone would stop me and say, Pastor, Pastor, I got something I've got to give you. And it was something for the work. Oh, they'd say, Pastor, what about Brother Solomon? What's happening right now? I've had a burden on my heart for him. They were carrying my burden and that passion. And, and again, it wasn't that I was trying to take anything from them. It's just that God had laid something else on me. And because he did, the church family said, okay, we're joining in this with you. And we're going to be part of it. And we're going to do this together for the glory of God. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Someone get me some chairs for him, please. I think that's the way we're going to do it. We're going to bring them right up here in the front. And uh, <clears throat> this is what I want. I want them to come down here. You can turn them around. That's all right. They can face that way. That's fine with me. And uh, just I, I want people to be able to get around them. Amen. Now, I want people to get around them that's going to connect. 
And uh, I want people to get around them that's going to pour virtue into them. I want people to get around them that's going to be an inspiration and that's going to help them do what God has in his mind. At the same time, I want people to get around them that are ready to say, and Lord, we're also going to be part of what you're doing right here. We're not going to let a bit of your work in this area fall to the ground. We're not going to let anything go lacking when our pastor has to be away to fulfill these obligations that you have put on him. We're going to rise up to meet the challenge right here. We're going to close all the gaps up. We're going to do our best to persevere, and we're going to have victory in Olathe. We're going to see what God has in his mind. He's up to something big pastor and sister Riggin come right now if you would and in the conclusion of this meeting tonight I want people to connect